All right, if you have a Bible, go with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, and uh, we'll have that passage on the, state, on the screen as well. Thank you so much. We are in a series focusing on the topic of discerning God's will, discernment. How do we discover God's will for our lives? As we think about all the big decisions that we have to make, as we think about what it means to be faithful to Jesus Christ as followers of Christ, what does it mean to discern God's will? And so far, we've talked about a few things. I mentioned initially the first week that we can't discern God's will until we learn how to desire God's will and to delight in God's will. If we're not seeking to desire God's will or to delight in God's will, no matter what other steps and principles we get, it ain't going to work because we're already having an agenda for our own lives that often does not include God. It's often, Lord, I made a decision, now bless it, all right? And so we want to discern and desire God's will. I also talked last week about what it means to uh, be led or to listen to our feelings, that feelings has a way of often being side, uh, uh, put on the side as we think about decision-making and the will of God. But what does it mean to listen to our hearts? What does it mean to listen to our feelings as we think about discerning God's will? That's what we covered last week. And today I'm going to talk about what it means to use our heads. What does it mean to use our heads? In particular, I want to focus on what it means to be prudent. Prudent. And we're going to look to the book of Proverbs to get some direction here. And so Proverbs chapter 14, beginning in verse number 8. You can follow on the screen as well. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Let's read that all together. Together. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Let's pray together. Lord, we don't want to be fools, Lord. Help us to grow in wisdom. Help us to make decisions as we listen to your spirit. Lord, lead us and guide us in the way that we should go. And so we offer this time to you. Speak to us now through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. One of the rhythms that Rosie and I have each month is we have a finance meeting and a calendar meeting. A finance meeting and a calendar meeting. We think about our obligations. We think about our priorities. We think about the things that we believe God is calling us to. We think about the time, the things related to our families. Every month we have a finance meeting and a calendar meeting. And the biggest point of tension in our marriage over 16 years, next week it will be our 17th year anniversary. And so... <clears throat> The biggest tension we've had over the years is related to money and time. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Money and time. Our biggest arguments, you know, we argue once a year, but the biggest arguments <laughs> has to do with our calendar of us not getting clear on our commitments and not communicating ahead of time as we think about what we do with our money and what we do with our time. And so we spend often an hour or two every month thinking big picture about what is coming. And this meeting is so absolutely draining, so stressful. I'd rather do so many other things, and she'd rather do so many other things, but to think about our calendar and to think of our finances. But we want a life that's flourishing, and so we've learned that when we don't do this, 
we find ourselves in a lot of trouble. And so every month, Rosie has to think through her meetings and her work and her trips and the things she wants to do and the errands she wants to do and uh, needs to do. And I have to think about my own uh, meetings and dinners and speaking engagements and classes I teach. And we have to think together as, as parents, as, as the doctor's appointments and maintenance on the car and the other commitments that we have to give ourselves to. And by the end of every meeting, I'm absolutely overwhelmed. And yet, my temptation is, I want to squeeze everything in that I want to do. Everything I want to do, I want to squeeze it in. And so Rosie gently reminds me that every time I say yes to something, when that thing that I say yes to comes around, I'm just so angry that I said yes to it. You ever been there before? It's just like, yeah, I want to do it. Then it comes around like, oh, no, why did I say yes to this thing? Which has led her to ask me a question when we are in our calendar meeting. It's a question I'm very annoyed by, but it's a question that comes up every single week, especially her directing it to me. The question is, have you thought it through? I don't like this question at all. Have you thought this through? Have you thought this decision through. Now, you don't have to be married to ask that question. This question is for married and for singles. This question is for, for those who are up in age or those who are young. This question is for rich and poor. Have you thought it through? Have you thought about the implications of this decision? And that's what we're talking about today. To discern God's will, we need multiple layers to help us discern and listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit so that we can make wise decisions. Have we thought it through? This is a hard question because I want to do what I want to do. This is a hard question because I don't like to think things through. I just want to make a decision and not do all the hard work of actually thinking things through. And it's a hard question because when I get my mind fixed on something, if I really have to think it through, it means that I won't get to do what I really want to do. I can be stubborn. Anyone can identify? I can be stubborn in my ways. And when my mind gets fixated on something and I don't want to change it, the Bible has a word for that kind of person. And that word is fool <laughs> fool you know any fools you know any fools have you been a fool before <laughs> i have been a fool many times in my life so set in my ways so stubborn that i refuse to budge and yet what god invites us into is not a life of foolishness but a life of prudence now what does it mean to be prudent prudent a prudent person is a person who thinks ahead patiently giving careful thought to the long-term implications of their decisions. A person who thinks ahead, patiently giving careful thought to the long-term implications of their decisions. And so again, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. And so, in short, the prudent person uses their head. Now, when we think about all the decisions that we have to make, we better use our head. We need to be prudent. When we think about some of the heavy, big, life-altering decisions we have to make, we need to use our head to discern God's will. When we think about questions like, should I purchase a home or should I continue to rent? Should I sell my home and move into a smaller apartment or should I stay where I'm at? Should I homeschool my kids or should I put them in public school? Should I take in my aging parents or should we find a facility, an assisted facility, a nursing home for them? Uh, should I continue this dating relationship 
or should it come to an end? Which major should I uh, pursue in college? Uh, should I retire or should I keep on going? And it's not even a question as to this or that option. It's often larger questions like, how is God actually calling me to steward my money? How is God calling me to make decisions? How is God calling me to invest my time? What is God calling me to do with my life? We need to use our head and be prudent when we think about these scenarios. And the book of Proverbs helps us to make wise, discerning decisions. In the book of Proverbs, there are three people that show up over and over, three characters that the book of Proverbs speaks to. The evil person, the foolish person, and the wise person. The evil person is the person who lives their life to and exists to hurt others. They're the wicked ones. And there's lots of Proverbs spoken about those who are wicked. Then there's the Proverbs aimed at the foolish. The foolish are those who refuse to think. They're aimless. They're, 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 they're thick-headed. They're, they, they, they wander into a mess. And then we have Proverbs about the wise the prudent and over and over again we find that the the prudent are those who who's, who live a life of abundance a life of peace a life of joy now prudence comes in three ways in the book of proverbs it comes number one or wisdom comes by the fear of the lord it comes secondly by the wise use of our words and it comes wisdom because of our prudence Thinking. We give thought to our ways, and that's what I want to focus on for our time. We often fail to use our heads. Now, in the book of Proverbs, the fool refuses to think through things and suffers the consequences. And wisdom, as the book of Proverbs says, is crying out in the streets. Wisdom in the book of Proverbs is the personification of God. It is God calling out, saying, don't suffer needlessly. Don't suffer needlessly. The wisdom cries out in the street, longing to lead us and to guide us in the way we should go. And as I think about the book of Proverbs, I wonder how much avoidable pain have we experienced? How much avoidable pain have we experienced? And this way, when I think about pain in the Bible, I think it comes in two categories. Let me explain it this way. There is discipleship pain, and there's dumb pain. Discipleship pain, and there's dumb pain. Discipleship pain is, is the pain that Jesus talks about in the Gospel of John 15, where he prunes us, where, where he, he allows us to, to follow him and, and make hard decisions with our lives. He, he invites us to go down a particular road that's often very painful. It's discipleship pain. Discipleship pain is there's a conversation you need to have that you don't want to have, but God says, this is good to grow you up. This is good for your maturity. I know you don't want to have it. I know you are avoiding this person like the plague, but it's an important conversation to have. This is discipleship pain. Discipleship pain is, 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 is I have to make a decision that's going to hurt me a little bit, but it is for the glory of God and for the good of others and for my own flourishing. Discipleship pain is what Paul says in Galatians 2 when he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not yet not I, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I live, I live now by the faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. That's discipleship pain. It's the kind of pain that God uses to mature us. Use this to grow us up. And then there's 
dumb pain. And God says, I had nothing to do with that. (laughs) And Satan says, me neither. (laughs) That had nothing to do with me. Dumb pain. Dumb pain is you get into a relationship that everyone said, this is a bad idea. The dog said, don't do it. The dog was like, no, no, he's not good for you. She's like, and you say, you know, I'm going to press through anyway. And then three months later, you go, oh, no. What did I get myself into? Dumb pain is you made a quick financial decision on a really long-term situation. And you go, how did I get myself into this? Dumb pain is you overcommitted yourself to something without really asking the questions and getting clarity on what this all entails. The book of Proverbs helps us to avoid dumb pain. And repeatedly in the Bible, we find scriptures along these lines. In Proverbs 13, it says, Every prudent person acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his folly. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. A simple person believes anything, but a prudent person gives thought to his steps. In short, it's impossible for the fool to discern God's will because the fool doesn't give careful thought to his or her own ways. And yet, what we find in the Bible is God inviting us to use our head. Now, in the church, it's often the case that there is a a chasm, a contrast that's set as it relates to faith and as it relates to using our minds. I remember a conversation I had with someone. Someone was inviting me for a particular ministry opportunity, and I hadn't responded in a couple of weeks. And he said, hey, hey, Rich, what are you, uh, any decision? And I said, you know, I'm, I'm still really thinking about it. And his response was to me, I don't need you to think about it. I need you to pray about it. Now, that makes a nice bumper sticker. I don't need you to think about it. I need you to pray about it. But here's the problem with that language. The problem with that language is it could put pitting, uh, it could put prayer against thinking. As if to pray is not to use your brain. And there's this anti-brain often culture in churches where can you just trust God and leave your brain at home? No, let's bring our brains with us to church. Amen, somebody. And let's bring our brains with us to work. And let's bring our brains with us into a relationship. Let's bring our brains with us. Don't leave your brain at home. That's a nice bumper sticker too. Don't leave your brain at home. And so what he really wanted was, is God leading you supernaturally? Pray about it. That God is going to reveal it, and sometimes God does that. But what we should be really doing is holding those things together. That it is possible to prayerfully think about a matter and hold it before the Lord. In fact, when God says to love him, he says we are to love God with our heart, soul, with our minds, and with our strength. The entirety of our being is to be surrendered unto God in worship. And yet we have a hard time using our brains, our thinking, our prudence. Why? Because it's often the case that there is beneath our decisions and beneath our life an undetected source of anxiety. You see, we have an anxious brain and we have a prudent brain. An anxious brain and a prudent brain. Anxiety is essentially an automatic response to a real or perceived threat. An automatic response to a real or perceived threat. And in some ways, anxiety is actually a gift from God. 
Anxiety is a gift from God in some ways. For example, if you're walking down Queens Boulevard and you see an angry-looking dog running after you, this is not a time for meditation and contemplation. <laughs> this is not a time to pause and, and let me just be still before the Lord. No, this is no time to be still before the Lord. This is time for you to run and run as fast as you can. And so when, when, we, when our response is just flights or, or, or freeze, or, that, that's our anxiety working in us. And in some ways, it's a gift, keeping us, protecting us from harm. But here's the problem. If our entire lives are marked by and driven by the anxious brain, we're going to find ourselves in a lot of trouble. What we are invited into in Scripture and what the Holy Spirit wants to lead us into is not a life that's dominated by an anxious brain, but dominated by a prudent brain. And again, the prudent one are those who think ahead, patiently giving careful thought to the long-term implications of their decisions. Let me flesh this out a little bit more. What does prudence mean? In the scriptures, this is kind of the synonyms of prudence in the book of Proverbs. It means to be farsighted. It means to think before in advance. It means to be wisely cautious in practical affairs. It means careful, to be careful in providing for the future, being sensible, having good judgment or common sense, taking everything into account. It's balanced. It's level-headed. It is careful. The question is, do these words describe your life? Do these words describe my life? And here's the thing about our lives, and this is why we all need the grace of God. Some of us can be prudent in one area of our lives and foolish in another. Some of us can be prudent with our finances and foolish in relationships. Some of us can be prudent with, as it relates to our vocation and career and foolish as it relates to our physical health. We can be prudent in one area and foolish in another, which is why we all need the grace of God, the mercy of God, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and God longs to lead us into wisdom into prudence so that we can discern his will and make decisions that are in alignment with his will and kingdom. Now, to that end, how do we do this? To that end, what does it mean for us to be prudent? What I want to do for the rest of our time is offer a framework of questions that as you're thinking about your life, as you're thinking about the decisions that you have to make, as you think about how God is calling you to spend your time, spend your money, as you think about whether you should uh, continue in that career or go somewhere else, whether you should move or whether you should stay, what you should do with your children, your parents, etc. There's a myriad of decisions we have to make in a given year. How do we become prudent? How do we become wise as the people of God? And what I want to do is offer seven questions to help us discern God's will. You might need just one or two of these questions today. But as we think about these decisions, I want you to hold on to these seven questions. The first question that I want you to hold on to is, as you're trying to be prudent, is, number one, am I rushing? Am I rushing? It was Dallas Willard, the philosopher and theologian, who famously said that the greatest enemy of the spiritual life is hurry. The greatest enemy of the spiritual life is hurry. Meaning, if we live our lives at such a pace where we cannot slow down to be with God, we're going to find ourselves making some really bad decisions. And the question is, as you think about your own life, are you rushing? Are you not thinking this through? And the general principle is the bigger the decision, 
the more time you need to listen. The bigger the decision, the more time you need to listen. Are you rushing? Number two, the question is, am I avoiding the hard work of thinking? Am I avoiding the hard work of thinking? To truly discern God's will means that we have to think, and this is hard, hard work. And so whether you're discerning whether to buy or to rent, we have to look closely at our financial decisions, at our financial state, at what's going on, and this requires thinking. If you're wondering whether to, you know, what should your dating life look like, it would do, you would do yourself some, 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 some good to think through, what do you value? What's important to you? That you're just not ready to take anyone who's breathing. Come on, somebody. But that you've given this part of your life some thought. It's not enough that he's fine. It's not enough that she's beautiful. I mean, you're going to have to think some of this stuff through. Are you doing the hard work of thinking or avoiding it? Third, do you understand the options that are before you? Options that are often quite difficult, but God is calling you into. For example, Rosie and I, I mentioned we've been, we've been married uh, 17 years uh, this coming Saturday. And when we first got married in our mid-20s, we made a lot of bad financial decisions. We were buying Pottery Barn furniture without Pottery Barn money. <laughs> and we found ourselves swiping away. We found ourselves really early in our marriage, already under a burden of credit card debt. And we thought, you know what, we'll just we'll get rid of it fast. And, and that's what we all say. We'll get rid of it fast and... And then one week turns into a month and another month. And next thing you know, we find ourselves just shackled by this increasing amount of debt. And we have some strides and then find ourselves back and make some strides and find ourselves back. And so in, my, in our mid-30s, and I'll be, I'll be 44 in, this coming April, but in my mid-30s, we thought we're still under really uh, some constraints here. And the bad decisions we made in our early years as a couple is really weighing on us heavily. And the question we asked was, what are our options? As we're thinking about our future, as we're thinking about our, 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 our finances, as we think about what we want to do as a family in our 40s and in our 50s and in our 60s, as we think about what we want to hand down to our children, we thought we're under this enormous Mountain here, what can we do? And we started looking at various options before us, and one of the options which was really hard for us was to actually move out of our apartment and move in with my in-laws, with Rosie's parents, for two years to pay off the debt that we owed and to begin to save for a home. And do you know how hard that was for me? I became the, uh, the pastor of New Life here at 33 years of age. A couple of years later, I'm living with my in-laws. When people say, hey, where do you live? I go, oh, yeah, with, with my in-laws. You, you understand how, what that did inside of me? Oh, but you, you lead a big church, and you're well-known in the city. Where, where do you live? Yeah, with my in-laws. And I had to make a decision. Am I going to 
make decisions based on the long-term health of my family and the glory of God? Or am I going to succumb to the opinions and the thoughts and the judgments of others? And so we made a really hard decision. And here we are almost a decade later in a much different place. But it took some hard decisions to look at all the options. Do you know some of the options that God might call you to might humble you? Some of the options might be really hard, might be embarrassing. You might feel some shame about it, and God's saying, I, I, this is what I have for you. Why? Because we're not just thinking about tomorrow. We're thinking about the future. We're thinking about next decade and generations to come. And so do you understand the options that are before you? That's the hard work that it takes to discern God's will and to make hard decisions. Number four, have you considered your limits and the limits of those around you? It's very easy to think that we don't have any limits. But anytime we transcend our limits, especially in a way in which is inconsistent with what God has for us, we find ourselves in the enemy's territory. This is the book of Genesis, when God put a limit on Adam and Eve and said, don't, you can have anything you want, just don't cross that limit. And they cross the limit and enter into Satan's territory. Anytime you start going beyond your limits in a way in which God said, don't, go, don't pass, go. We find ourselves in some really bad place. And here's what I hear many, but, but God doesn't have any limits. Well, that's God. You're not God. And what God calls us to is to recognize the limits of my own life and the limits around, the limits of my emotional capacity, the limits of my money. If you have small children, that's a limit. If you have children with disabilities, that's a limit. If you have aging parents, that's a limit. We all have our limits and it requires us to discern those limits as we seek to discern the will of God. Number five, have you honestly assessed your strengths and weaknesses? Another way of saying it, probably a better way of saying it is, do you know who you are and do you know who you're not? I love John the Baptist. John the Baptist is one of my favorite characters in the Bible because he knows who he is and he knows who he isn't. When he comes on the scene, he comes with a powerful ministry and people around him think, this guy's the Messiah. And they go, are you the Messiah? He goes, nope. They go, you must be Elijah, the prophet. He goes, nope. They go, who are you? He, go, he goes, I am a voice crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Why do I love John the Baptist? He knows who he's not. And he knows who he is. Much of the problems we get into is we're trying to be something God never called us to be. And we're trying to do stuff that God has never called us to do. Which is why success in the eyes of God, brothers and sisters, is not based on what the world thinks. Success is, are you doing what God has called you to do? And are you being who God has called you to be? I've had to discover this so many times. As a preacher, I've had to discover this. Who am I and who am I not? Because I want to discern God's will as a preacher. When I first became a Christian, I, I didn't know who I was, and sometimes these things take a, a lot of time to, uh, to really discover, but I was really trying to be everyone I saw on television. And so I saw, like, Charles Stanley. You know, Charles Stanley had his Bible, and he's conversational, and he's talking, and whenever I preach, I, I hold my Bible like Charles Stanley holds his Bible, and I preach like Charles Stanley, and then the next day, I watch T.D. Jakes. You know who T.D. Jakes is? And he's sweating when he's preaching. I'm never sweating when I preach. I have a towel in my hand. I'm not even sweating. You know what I'm saying? But I saw him do it. 
And it got to a point where I had to realize I am not that and I am not that. This is who I am. And what success is, is rich being rich, not rich being somebody else. And success for you is you being who God called you to be and doing what God called you to do. That's success in the kingdom of God. Number six, am I freely making this decision or am I being pressured to do so? Am I free? We all have volition. We all have will. To discern God's will means that God is calling us to make a choice. To what degree is this choice based on what God has called you to do? Or is there external or even internal pressure? It was Henry Nouwen, the great author, who said that we often live according to false deadlines that we create on our own. What are false deadlines? Basically, it's this. If I don't have this, by the time I am that, something's wrong with me. If I don't have this kind of money by the time I am this age, something's wrong with me. If I don't have this kind of possession by the time I'm this age, something's wrong with me. If I'm not married by the time I'm this age, something's wrong with me. And, and we, it's a false deadline. And here's what I know to be true about my life and maybe you about your own life. is that many of our decisions are not based on the love of God and the wisdom of God, but on shame. Deep shame inside of us. Shame that says, I am bad because I don't have or I have not done. And now we're making these decisions to somehow position us in a better place. And then we find ourselves resentful that we made those decisions because it was acted out on shame. Are you free? Or is there internal, external pressure coming? Lastly, it's this. Have you worked hard to really understand the implications of this decision? This is grown-up stuff, friends. This is hard stuff. This is stuff that I'd rather not do. And yet, as we think about big decisions we have to make, the question is, have I even wrestled with the implications? What, does, what will this mean for my life? What will this mean for the people around me? We can't anticipate everything, but we can at least begin to ask the question, what are the implications of this decision? The book of Proverbs wants to lead us into wisdom and to discerning God's will properly. But as we close, I want to end with some really good news. Here's the truth of our lives. The truth of our lives is this. In a given year, we're going to be fools. In a given month, we're going to be fools. In a given week, because of the various pressures inside and outside of us, we're going to be fools. And I want to share two things about the gospel, two things about the gospel that I want you to hold on dear. Hold on. Hold on very deeply to these things. Two things. Number one, the good news of the gospel is that God loves fools. <laughs> Praise the Lord. God loves fools. Aren't you happy about that? There's going to come a day when anxiety is going to hit you so hard, and you're going to make a bad decision, and you're going to think, God, hey, no, God loves fools God forgives fools God longs to redeem fools God longs to restore fools God loves fools and what this invites us this invites us this word invites us to open ourselves to God recognizing our foolishness and say Lord we have been foolish could you rescue Lord we have been foolish could you forgive Lord we have been foolish can you redeem 
God loves fools. But the second part of the gospel that I want you to hold on to is this. When I think about Jesus and think about his decisions, the love of God in Jesus Christ is prudent. I want you to note that Jesus doesn't accidentally fall on a cross. Jesus prudently decides him going to the cross was calculated. Him going to the cross was, was thoughtful. It was intentional. He knew exactly what he was stepping into. And even though it was painful, the greatest pain any human being has ever experienced, even though it was horrific and tragic, his love is a prudent love. Why? Because he was farsighted thinking about you. Thinking about all the generations to come. The gospel is the good news that God's love has been prudent. Thinking about every generation coming after him. Jesus went to the cross for you and you and you and you watching online. Far-sighted love, calculated love. This is why he tells his disciples, count the cost of following me. That's exactly what he did. He counts the cost and still takes on our sin. Loves us with an everlasting love. Offers us eternal life. This is the prudent love of God. And this God who has rescued us, and this God who has saved us, and this God who has redeemed us, has now given us his spirit so that we can live like he does. Not as fools, but as wise as those seeking to do the will of God. Amen. 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 Let's pray together. Let's have the worship team come forward. Let me invite you to close your eyes for a moment. I imagine in this season, many of us in this room and watching online or listening later on to this podcast have many decisions to make. And maybe you're caught up in your own anxiety caught up in performing, caught up in what others think about you. And yet on this day, the Holy Spirit is saying, slow down. Listen to your heart and use your mind. Lord Jesus, it is so easy for us to be dominated by an anxious brain be dominated by the thoughts of others and our own false deadlines that we put on ourselves. And yet you long to lead us into newness of life. May we discern your will. May we listen deeply to you. For you are always longing to lead us to life. And so, Lord, we open ourselves up to you this day. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to receive all you have for us this day. We sing to you now these words of praise and worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. amen. Let's all stand and let's sing together. Sing it. Mm -hmm. 
our prayer team come to my to my right listen i imagine in a room this full and those watching online many of you over the course of your life maybe has have made decisions that have led to some pain in your life and some shame in your life and you wonder what can god do with that what can god do with my foolishness and my decisions and here's the beautiful news of the gospel the beautiful news of Christianity is God even takes our failures, amen, and redeems them for his good purposes. Aren't you glad about that? That the gospel says, God says, I'll have the last word. My goodness will have the last word. My salvation will have the last word. 
My healing will have the last word. And so we offer God even our failures and even our foolishness and say, Lord, show mercy, redeem, make whole. And so our prayer team will be here for whatever needs you have. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're here making a hard decision and you need wisdom of the Holy Spirit. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe there's some tensions that you're trying to figure out. How do I navigate and negotiate these differences? Well, you need the wisdom of God. We want to serve you and pray for you. Or for whatever need you have, we want to pray for you. Maybe you came into this room and you're watching online and maybe you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never entrusted your life to him. And today you're saying, I want to surrender my life to the love of God in Jesus Christ. He loves you with an everlasting love, taking on your sin, forgiving you, offering you peace and purpose and joy. And maybe today you are sensing God speaking to the deepest part of your soul. Well, if that's you today, there's a couple of things you can do. You can come up for prayer and talk to one of our prayer team members. You can also text that phrase, yes to Jesus, to the number on the screen, 718-424-0122. And one of our pastors would love to follow up with you. At the end of our service, we'll have a sermon discussion time. And so if you're watching online, feel free to click that link. And one of our pastors will be facilitating a discussion over for about 30 minutes. And it's a good way to connect with others and also process a bit of what you've heard. But as we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. If you're new to our congregation, we end with our hands in this posture because it's a posture of receiving. And that's what we need, don't we? We need to receive the wisdom of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. And so this is a posture of saying, Lord, my hands are empty. Fill me with wisdom. Fill me with your guidance. Fill me with your life so that I may offer it to the world around me. And so with your hands in your hearts in a posture of receiving, Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, opening yourself up to the wisdom of God. May you slow down your life enough to be caught by God's goodness, caught by his wisdom. And may you discern well the leading of the Holy Spirit, not just for your life, but for the world around you. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the wise name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you all. Amen.